1: Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. Everyone in the SEC is undefeated except for LSU, Brian Kelly, with a, a flop of a debut at the Superdome on Sunday against Florida State. We will get into that and much more. And also offer our week two picks. And we're going to, to get into some week one overreactions, or are they overreactions? John's going to to help me decide whether these, uh, a handful of week one takes is an overreaction or not. John, I know you saw really all the action throughout the opening weekend. A lot of it, you were telling me, were on a couple of phones, a little technology snafu, but... No less dedicated than usual, you were juggling phones and a TV and just taking in all all the action. What stood out to you from from what you saw in Week One from the SEC?
0: Well, the teams that I was watching on my phone looked smaller than the one I was watching on the big screen. That was that was my main uh, my main takeaway. I thought it was a great weekend for the SEC. I thought the SEC teams looked really good. And you've mentioned LSU, the only loser. I think there are a number of other SEC teams that could have lost to Florida State. Florida State was better than I thought it would be. However, almost miraculously, LSU almost won that game. Had no business winning it, but it almost did. But the main thing that I I thought about after that weekend was Alabama and Georgia just looked, uh, you know, flash forward to December, Uh they'll play for the SEC championship, and then they'll probably meet again in a rematch in the college football playoff. They they just look so complete, Georgia particularly. I thought Stetson Bennett played as well as he he ever has. I just don't. I I, I think people who still want to criticize uh, Stetson Bennett as a quarterback are, are misplaced now in their in their valuation, he he's he's really become a good quarterback, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, if there's any criticism of Stetson Bennett remaining, it's because people haven't watched Georgia play since the 2020 season or, or something like that. I, I you made a good point about Alabama and Georgia. I mean, I, I felt uh, somewhat strongly going into the season that Alabama and Georgia would play in December in Atlanta, and then both teams, regardless of what happened in Atlanta would make the college football playoff. And now, like you, I think as far as a week one judgment goes, I'd probably take it a step farther and say, not only are these teams going to, to meet in Atlanta, make the playoff, but they're probably going to, to play in, in the national championship game once again. Now, a lot can obviously happen between now and then. Ohio State played the toughest opponent, at least in terms of ranking in, in week one, uh, didn't necessarily impress in, in all facets of the game. Uh, certainly, early against Notre Dame, but but did beat probably the most solid opponent of anybody in in week one. So a lot could still happen, uh, but certainly nothing we saw from from Alabama or Georgia dissuaded my belief in in either of those those teams. So we'll get into to much more here as we get into our our week one overreactions, or as I said in the opener, are they? overreaction. So let's get it rolling. John, you're going to play judge and jury here and tell me uh, if this is an overreaction or not. So I'm going to start with Georgia after that absolutely dominating, just dismantlation. Is that a word? Dismantling. That's the word I'm looking for. Dismantling. You were combining dismantling with annihilating, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Annihilation and dismantling and- becomes dismantalization. Whatever like you want it's to call it.
0: Word. You should
1: use it more often. Yeah, I'm not sure I, our copy
0: editors would catch
1: that. Maybe Georgia needs, maybe we need more, more words to describe what Georgia did to Oregon in that opener. So my overreaction, or not, you're going to tell me, Georgia is the nation's best team. Georgia's the best team in the land, still. Not an overreaction. I,
0: I agreed with you watching that game. Alabama was uh, annihilating uh, or dismantling Utah State, but it's Utah State. And I think Alabama's defense is better than it was last season. However, Georgia's performance was so complete. I mean, this is a top 25 team. It reminded me of a few years back when Alabama opened the season against Southern California. Southern Cal was nationally ranked and Alabama won something like 51 to 10 or something like that. Georgia did the same thing. Scored on seven consecutive possessions. First team never failed to score a touchdown anytime it got the ball against Oregon. I don't think Oregon is bad. Is as bad as Georgia made it look. Two things, uh, st- well, three things. When I consider Cat- Stetson Bennett's quarterback play, his he just keeps getting better. His field awareness and his accuracy. Uh, he he made a really good throw on the run. Just made a number of plays. He looks th- the game looks so slow to him now. I mean, he just he can pick apart a defense, and he's got a lot of weapons. George's receiving core is better than I thought the other things that I I think Georgia is better in the secondary and better in the offensive line than it was last year. So to me, that's, that's significant uh, development on Georgia's part.
1: John, you've been an, an AP voter in the past as, as have I, neither of us are voting in the top 25 this year, which I don't think we're bitter about, by the way, that's kind of a hard task if. Of feeling like you're watching enough games and then getting your votes in on on time so uh we're not campaigning for for a vote this year don't take it the wrong way but if you were a voter this year would you have georgia number one on your on your ballot this week
0: yes i would one of my main uh, complaints about the voters in general i'm speaking to the associated press poll the media guys which i think is a more accurate poll uh than the coaches poll but i think you have um too many people put their preseason top twenty fives and just say, "Okay, I'm not changing that." If my teams don't, the teams I predicted, if they don't fall, if they keep winning, I think more guys are doing it differently now. But I, i've always I've always tried to just look at each week uh, uh, as an as a new entity and and not not care about what I thought last week. I'm judging performance. I'm not trying to. Uh, uphold my preseason predictions. And I just thought Georgia was better for an opening performance, honestly, against another pretty good team. That was as good as I've ever
1: seen anybody play in an opener. Georgia was just that good. Someone else who was really good in the opener and I know exceeded both of our expectations, John was, was Florida. Um, you know, when you, when you move past Georgia's annihilation slash dismantling of of Oregon that maybe the second most impressive week one game was was Florida beating uh, Utah at home and Billy Napier's debut so my statement you tell me whether this is an overreaction or not LSU will regret not hiring Billy Napier
0: I think that's an overreaction I couldn't buy into that I really liked what Florida did in the opener and he did a nice job at Louisiana, but i I still look at track records. I think Brian Kelly has a, he has a greater rebuilding task than I thought. He's going to have to weed out some players. I just didn't like LSU's look at all. And I know Brian Kelly's won wherever he's been, you just can't ignore that. And Billy Napier doesn't have as big a track record. So I think it's too early to say that. Now, a couple of years from now, if LSU is looking the way it did Saturday night and Florida's knocking off a top 10 team, then I would say that's not
1: an overreaction. But kind of now I do. Yeah, it's one of those things, too, where I think sometimes we think this is like an either-or scenario. Like, oh, you should have hired... Billy Napier and not Brian Kelly. You know, Billy Napier's going to be great and Brian Kelly's going to be terrible, or um, you know, or, or vice versa. It, it doesn't have to be either or. Like both these guys in the long term could prove to be good hires, or in the long term, they could both prove to be bad hires. And and I agree with you. I mean, I threw the statement out there because I think it's it's interesting debate, but I think it's it's too early at this, it's an overreaction at this point to say LSU will regret not hiring Napier. Having said that, I mean I think Florida might enjoy having Billy Napier as as its coach if if Week One is is any indication of of what's in store for the Gators. All right, moving on to the next one. Both Ole Miss and Mississippi State won their season openers. Mississippi State had more of a brand opponent in front of it, I guess, with with Memphis, while Ole Miss was playing Troy. And Will Rogers looked excellent for Mississippi State. Never gets enough love, I don't think, does Will, Will Rogers threw for 450 yards in that game. So my statement, Mississippi State is the best team in the state of Mississippi this season.
0: I would concur with that based on one game. Again, we just have a small body of work, but... Ole Miss's defense looked good against Troy, but everybody's defense will go- look good against Troy. It had one of the worst offenses in the country last season. It's changed coaches, and it, for some reason, had a defensive-minded coach. But I think it will continue to struggle offensively. Mississippi State—it's so unpredictable with Mike Leach, and so many. We saw last year in this very kind of game where Mississippi State struggled. It had to have a furious rally to overtake Louisiana Tech last September. Uh, it was a it was a favorite. I don't trust Mississippi State that much in a favorite role, but what I liked about it was it came out right away and established its superiority. And the foul score was a little misleading because I didn't think Mississippi State was as efficient and as thorough in its play after a really lengthy rain, a uh, thunderstorm delay but I liked again, and, and we're on the same page with Will Rogers. It's, it's inappropriate to call him a system quarterback. He he is an incredibly accurate passer. I think, I don't know, 39 of 48 or 38 of 49 in that season opener and five touchdowns. It, it doesn't matter what system you're in. I know he's throwing a lot of short passes, but the accuracy is still uh, off the charts. So, yeah, I like more of what Mississippi State did than what Ole Miss did,
1: but it's just one game. Okay, John, I know one of the games you were watching on the, on the small screen, maybe it just wasn't made for the big screen based on how it played out, was, was South Carolina uh, and it's, its opener with, with Spencer Rattler uh, as its quarterback. So overreaction or not, Spencer Rattler picked the wrong school as a transfer.
0: I would have to agree. As you know, all preseason, I thought that was one of the significant transfers as as anywhere for a quarterback challenge, South Carolina, to pick up a quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, I think, in Spencer Rattler. I don't know. Spencer Rattler probably should have done a better job of scouting. I know he has a prior relationship with Shane Shane Beamer, the coach, because he was an assistant at Oklahoma. South Carolina's offensive line was troubled last season, and it didn't look at it as though it had improved at all. Now, Georgia State has uh, an aggressive defense, an experienced defense, but I just can't remember how many. There weren't that many plays where Spencer Rattler dropped back in the pocket, stood there, looked around, went through his progressions and made a throw. It just seemed as though he was always on the run and he's a very mobile quarterback. He can make plays on the run. If he hadn't, if not for Spencer Rattler, you take South Carolina's quarterback last year, uh, uh for whatever, one of the four you choose. I don't know if it would have won that game.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, for most transfer quarterbacks, I'm inclined to say transfer to somewhere where you know you can play. Now, on that front, Spencer Rattler made a good choice. I mean, given what South Carolina had at its at quarterback last year, he transferred to a school where he knew he was going to be a starter. You know, there was, there was no question about that. And yet, Spencer Rattler is enough of a talent that I think, to your point, he could have probably transferred somewhere else that had maybe a better a more robust offensive line and still won the job. So yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of torn on, on this one and it does feel like maybe a little early to, to make a verdict, but Hey, that's what we're in the business of here on this podcast. Right. But I, maybe too soon to say whether he should have picked a different school, but certainly, you know, I think Spencer Rattler could have found a school with a more polished offensive line and, and still been the starter. I want to get back to LSU, John, because they, boy, I mean, the, the offensive line was a, just a giant struggle. Jaden Daniels was, was on the run from the word go. Uh, third, third down defense, they couldn't get off the field. Special teams were an absolute mess. And so, <laughs> need, need I say more? Blow it up. <laughs> and so, knowing what LSU has on its schedule, they play in the SEC West. They got crossovers against Florida and Tennessee both of which look like they're going to be a challenge. My statement is LSU will not make a bowl game this year. Overreaction or no?
0: Oh, that's a good one. I'm on the fence on that one. I could see it going either way. Hung jury. Well, no, I need to make a decision here. Uh, I'm trying to think of that schedule. And it could lose a lot of games in the West, and it's already lost its... uh, big run stopper in mason smith out for the season for celebrating a a play it wasn't even a touchdown it was just a play come on um i think brian kelly may just have to blow that thing up and start over i think he's going to have to make some personnel moves he's still got some talent but uh he may need to go to that hurry-up offense with Jaden Daniels. He looked much more in rhythm when they went to that late in the game. Probably should have gone to it sooner. I still will say LSU will make a bowl game. So that's – I guess it's a little overreaction, but not much. I, I don't, That thing could go either way. I will right,
1: we'll see if I can get you with another overreaction here. <laughs> Florida, on the heels of that impressive performance – against Utah whom I know you you really liked the Utes and maybe still do. Uh but given that that win and given what else we saw elsewhere, statement is Florida is the second best team in the SEC East. That's an overreaction. Anthony
0: Richardson in quarterback was just what as advertised. But Utah helped Florida out so much in that game. You don't want Anthony Richardson to run you want to keep him in the pocket. And I thought Utah really misjudged his speed. I mean, the guy's a pure sprinter. He looks like a 400-meter runner. He, uh, those long strides just eat up yardage. He had a 45-yard touchdown run. Utah should have kept him in the pocket, had a spy on him. Make him beat you with the path, his passing. I don't think Florida has enough playmakers at wide receiver. And I think if you play them the right way and keep – And keep uh, Richardson in the pocket, uh, Florida won't be as effective offensively. However, Florida's running game looked as good as I've seen it in a long time. Much of that had to do with Richardson, but its offensive line played better. I still think over the course of a season, Florida's lack of quality depth will show up and come into play more and more. I thought it was fading there at the end, but my gosh. Utah had the, I mean, it had a sure tie. I I just thought just some real boneheaded play plays. I I thought, I mean, Utah, people were talking about this as the big game is one of the biggest openers in Utah history. And it just blew the game. I thought,
1: yeah, we're going to learn. I think before September is over, whether, whether Florida is the second best team in the East, they have uh kentucky this week a game we'll we'll talk about when we're making our week two picks against the spread and then they close september on the road at tennessee so i think in a matter of weeks here we'll we'll find out whether that's an overreaction or or not i don't i mean i'll say this florida's at least made me think twice uh, about that thought i mean it, it's possible they are the second best team in the east i would have said coming into this season no way but you know I'm now at this point i think they're they're in the ballpark. I, I'm not sure I'm I'm all the way there yet. I I might be convinced depending on on what happens in the swamp on Saturday night. I'm going to lump these two together, John, when it comes to the Heisman conversation. There's there's probably six or ten guys where you could say you know so and so from the SEC is a Heisman dark horse, but I'm going to take it a step farther and say these two guys will be Heisman finalists, and you can react to one at a time, but I'm going to lump them together in this statement. Anthony Richardson will be a Heisman Trophy finalist among the the players invited to New York for that ceremony, and Stetson Bennett will be a Heisman Trophy finalist. Is either of those an overreaction?
0: It's not an extreme overreaction. If I thought Anthony Richardson would stay healthy the whole season— And uh, SEC teams would play the same kind of defense that Utah did. Yeah, he would be a Heisman finalist. I still wonder if he will stay healthy. I mean, he just has a history of injury. So I will say that's an overreaction. But I sure hope he stays healthy. I hope he's a Heisman finalist because he's a... I love watching the guy play. I mean, he just makes plays. Nobody else does. And it's funny you should bring up Stetson Bennett in that context because watching that game and th- just looking back, I mean, he was MVP of the semifinal game last year in the playoffs and MVP of the championship game uh, against Alabama. Uh, most people who had done that would already be a, f- he might be a considered a front runner right there with defending Heisman winner, Bryce Young. I, th- I think he will be it based on what I saw Saturday uh, it's unfair. People need to change the way they look at Stetson Bennett.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So one out of two there. One out of two. Yeah. Yeah. Overreaction. <laughs> it's, it is interesting too, John. I think Heisman voters over the years have more and more. You, you, tell me if you disagree with this. I think more and more over the years, Heisman voters trend to a guy off one of the nation's elite teams. And in that regard, I think that also helps Stetson. Bennett because voters, I think, really zero in on those like top five teams in the nation. As impressive as that week one win was for Florida, I don't know that Florida's a, a top five team. Uh, they might be better than, than we thought. I think they are better than, than we thought. Now, we did see Tim Tebow win the Heisman off a, a team that I believe went nine and four that year. But again, that's been a while and, and Tim Tebow was also just a special case. So I think when you consider um, you know, the team element, even though it's an individual award and I never have a problem putting a guy on my ballot. That's off a mediocre team. It's an individual award. If he's one of the three best players in the nation, he's going on my ballot, but you know, the way these voters are. And and I think if Georgia, you know, is, is the number one team or, or very, at least, you know, makes, makes the college football playoff, which based off Saturday, it would be a surprise to me if they don't, that certainly helps Stetson Bennett's case, particularly as a quarterback, I think, because quarterbacks are lumped in so much with, with team success.
0: Well, and think about this, too. You brought up Anthony Richardson, who so many people believe is a, a top 10 draft pick. Even though he has such a small body of work and has only started a few games. Georgia playing Florida late in the year. I mean, who do you think will have a better game in that game? I just really like Stetson Bennett's chances. I, I just think people, again, you, you've got to you've got to change your opinion based on what's actually happening. Stetson Bennett is was penalized in a way how he was judged because Georgia had a great defense. Everybody said, "Well, Georgia won with a great defense last year." Yeah, it did win with a great defense, but at the end of the year. Stetson Bennett was a key cog in that, in there, in Georgia's success. And even more so now, the, another thing against Stetson Bennett, he won't pile up a lot of fancy stats. That may be the best statistical game he has all season was against Oregon because George is not going it, to, it's not going to keep him in the game when it's running up a big score. I just, uh, and it's going to rely on its running game. More, I think, in, in a lot of instances, depending on how the defense plays. So we'll see. But, yeah, I don't think that's an overreaction at all. All
1: right, last one, John, before we transition to mm-hmm. some picks. I think a lot of Auburn fans would have come into the season saying, we wish Brian Harson would have named Robbie Ashford the starting quarterback. Well, in week one against Mercer, Auburn showed off a, a two-quarterback system and they found success with that. They handled Mercer without much trouble. But TJ Finley in that game threw two interceptions while Robbie Ashford made some plays with his arm, but also certainly with his with his legs, which is was as advertised. So overreaction or no, Robbie Ashford should be Auburn's starting quarterback. I
0: don't think it is overreaction. And and I didn't watch that game. It was one of the few games that I didn't see one minute of. However, I read about it and I kind of know what we could, you will get with Finley. I mean, he has a big arm but I think the nuances of the position escape him at times and in Ashford Auburn wants to run the ball with Tank Bigsby. And if you got a quarterback who can run and you got a really good running back there to hand the ball off to, it's a nice combination. So I wouldn't be surprised at that at all and Anybody seen Zach Calzada lately? Is he on anybody's radar?
1: No, I I haven't seen him lately. But no. I, I I would agree with you, John. I think you know there might be more mystery with with Robbie Ashford at, at quarterback, but that might be a good thing. I, I think I know what the ceiling is for Auburn with TJ Finley at at quarterback, and and I think I'd go with the guy that that maybe gives you the higher ceiling. And and I think you know based off of Week One and and also some you know, some historical context here of what Finley has been throughout his career, which is, you know, a guy you like as your backup, but I'm not sure you want to hand the reins over to him for a full season as your starter. Yeah, I think I would say Robbie Ashford gives Auburn the potential for a higher ceiling and and therefore should be its starting quarterback. John and I are going to take a break and we will be back with week two picks. Hi, this is Blake Topmeyer, host of the SEC Football Unfiltered podcast. Along with my co-host, John Adams, we've been coming to you every week for more than a year now. When we launched this podcast, we had the goal of having fun. We want to entertain as well as inform, and we consider no topic off limits. We'll debate anything from overrated teams, coaches on the hot seat, the best venues to cover a game, and whether John got swindled when he sold his 20-year-old Honda. While we revel in the banter, we're not big on shouting or talking over each other. This is a podcast for debate rather than noise. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider clicking subscribe or follow so you won't miss an episode. And we'd appreciate your rating a review. Those ratings and reviews help us find more listeners. As always, thank you for listening. And we are back, John. Bit of a uh, bit of a split performance for us, I guess, in our week one picks. I lead the standings. I went three and one in week one. You went two and two in week one. But if you combine those, we're ahead in the money-making business, so we'll see if we can keep that rolling this week. I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a better chance to to catch up here, move ahead of me. I've added a couple couple extra games to the list here, so we'll we'll try to run through these uh, as smoothly as we can. I'm going to start off with Arkansas uh, against South Carolina. Arkansas, eight-and-a-half-point favorite. I was really impressed with the Razorbacks in their season opener. I know that's a team we didn't talk about in our overreaction segment, but uh I thought KJ Jefferson, as good as I had advertised him to be in the in the offseason, I know we've joked about it that Arkansas uh was a dark horse team for me. And hey, I felt vindicated after week one. I know, you know, the score says it was just a touchdown game, but I, I still think Cincinnati, albeit not as good as last season, is a tough opening opponent. And I thought Arkansas didn't didn't do anything to dissuade me from my thought that they are a a dark horse team in the West and that KJ Jefferson is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in this conference. So what do you think eight and a half against South Carolina? I pick the SEC games in my column every week. So I always pick
0: a point spread before I look at the point spread. And it's funny, but in, in most of these games, I was really close to the spread. Um, I have I, I would pick Arkansas there, but it's very close. I think eight and a half is a pretty fair line to to create betting on both sides of the ledger. I just think Arkansas is is defensive front against South Carolina's offensive line. I just thought it looked porous against uh in that opener against Georgia State. So I would go, I would give an edge to uh Arkansas to beat the beat the spread there
1: yeah, I'm gonna go the the same way. i I'm worried about this spread. I feel a lot better if it was six and a half and not eight and a half. You know it's one of those spreads that yeah. if I were throwing some big bucks around, I might say, uh, stay away from that or you know, they got these teaser bets. you can you can pair up a couple games, adjust the spread, but you gotta go two for two. Maybe I'd tease this one down with another game, but we're not gonna do that here on the podcast. i gotta I gotta make a pick, and so I'm going with Arkansas uh, to cover that one. big game. Uh, in the swamp on Saturday night. This is a chance for, for Mark Stoops to back up that tough talk he had in the tweets uh, toward John Calipari over over the summer. Cal says it's a basketball school. Stoops says, "Hey, not so fast." Well, okay then, Mark. Here's your chance against Florida in week two. Florida off that big win over Utah, five and a half point favorites. Who do you like?
0: That's another fair spread. I like Kentucky in that one. I know it has a wretched history there in the swamp. I think it's won once there since 1979. So it's hard going against that. What impressed me about Kentucky was playing without against Miami of Ohio, an inferior foe, obviously. It was playing without star running back Chris Rodriguez, and I don't know if he's going to play this week or not. But in his absence, Kentucky threw the ball. It became a passing team instead of a running team. And what surprised me was the receiving core. uh, Two freshmen, Dane Key and uh, what's the other guy's name? Barry and Brown, uh, freshmen, both played well. Brown had a kickoff return for a touchdown. And Tavian Robinson, the transfer from Virginia Tech, did pretty much what Kentucky hoped it would, had I don't know, 136 receiving yards. So I like Kentucky to beat that spread. I was thinking the spread was going to be maybe three and a half, and that would have been more challenging. But uh, that was—I uh, I would go with that. I would go with Kentucky there, despite the history.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go the same way as as you. I think Florida uh, may win this game, but uh, with the the five and a half points, I'll take Kentucky and the points there as well. You know, it feels like it could be like a 24-20 type of game there, which which would lead you to taking Kentucky and the points. It's interesting. We're living in a world where we're debating, or at least some people are debating. I'm not. Some people are debating whether Kentucky's a basketball school. And and to your point, uh, we're, we're really living in a bizarro world where Kentucky is is fueled by its passing game. I know there were some years predating Mark Stoops, where that was that was the case, they were pass oriented teams. But you know, in the Mark Stoops era, that's not what we've seen. Maybe that changes when when Chris Rodriguez comes back later this season. But for now, Kentucky's passing game looks ahead of its ground game. So strange times, indeed. Johnny Majors classic on Saturday, John, and in, in honor of, uh, of course, the the former uh, Tennessee player and coach who was revered by the Vols, and and also a coach who was. Um, is really celebrated by Pitt as well. Won a national championship at Pitt in 1976. Those teams will meet in Pittsburgh on Saturday. The Vols are a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Vegas apparently impressed by a blowout win from Tennessee over, as you described them, infirm Ball State. So we know Pittsburgh isn't going to be as infirm you like Tennessee to cover the six and a half? Barely. I, I thought the
0: line would be three or four. And, and I, I was picking Tennessee by seven. So I'm cutting it really close there. I just think talent wise, when Pitt might have an edge in talent, but I like Tennessee's offensive system against Pat Narducci's defensive system, which is. As we've talked about before, it just go. It it sells out totally. It's coming after the quarterback, but there's a real danger inherent in that against Tennessee, which gets Hendon Hooker gets rid of the ball quickly on short drops, and then it becomes one-on-one matchups between cornerbacks and receivers. Pitt's really strong in the front line, not as strong in the secondary. I don't think so. I will. That's a tough one. I wouldn't bet that game. I will I will put that disclaimer on there for fans who are listening. I wouldn't bet that guy. I would ignore that. But since you forced me to pick it, I'll pick Tennessee.
1: All right. We're staying consistent here, John. I'm I'm following in your footsteps and taking Tennessee as well. I think I think the tempo run game also could be an X factor for for Tennessee. I agree with you on um, you know, Pitts got an aggressive D. They got to the quarterback well against West Virginia. And I think Hinden Hooker, who gets the ball out quickly, is prepared uh, to combat that. But I would also add, I think that tempo run game from, from Tennessee is going to give Pitt uh, trouble. So I will take the balls. Uh, I'm going to pick first on this one, give you a chance to deviate from me so I'm not just copying your picks. Alabama will be at Texas. We'll get a, we'll get a read on, on the Sarks, the fighting Sarks there in, in Austin. Um, I think this is a game, John. That's going to be ripe for overreactions. We were talking about overreactions in the lead segment. If if Alabama blows the doors off Texas, it's you're gonna you're gonna read a lot of takes of well, Texas. Don't want this SEC smoke. You know they boy they they're not ready for this SEC. Well, if you remember Texas A and M, John, the year before A and M came into the SEC, they weren't very good. That was 2011, and and I believe Texas A and M that year went five and seven. Excuse me. They went. They went seven and six. They went seven and six in, in 2011. Well, then they come into the SEC the following year in 2012, and Johnny Manziel's their quarterback, and they go 11 and two. So let's just pump the brakes, regardless of what happens on Saturday. Before we say, you know, Texas is just going to be a nightmare in the SEC. There's a lot of teams in the SEC that get blown out by Alabama. So that's my preemptive stance of. Pump, pump the brakes before we, we put uh, Texas in a, in a coffin before they, they even get into the SEC. Having said all that, though, I think Alabama blows the doors off Texas. Uh, and, and Nick Saban's going to be talking even more about rat poison um, and being kind of insufferable uh, about uh, how he doesn't like all this praise from the media. So I will I will take Alabama to cover the spread and win in a blowout.
0: Yeah, I think the spread is 20 and a half. Is that right? Oh, excuse
1: me. Yes, t- 20 and a half. Yes. Yes. I-
0: yeah, Blake, the way you were setting that up, I kind of thought that was the way you were going. Uh, it, the bottom line there is you shouldn't judge anybody by what it does against Alabama. And now I think you could say the same for Georgia. I don't think Oregon season is over because it got manhandled by Georgia. So I, I'm the same way here. Um, Texas has some nice offensive weapons, but it just looks like one of those teams that, that Alabama just... It just doesn't look ready for Alabama. Who is ready for Alabama, but just the overall breadth of talent with Alabama. And, and you know how it is. We we look at Alabama and, and Georgia right now, and they just look a little different than everybody else in in all phases of the game, really. So I'm, again... I'm going with you on this so we're we're on the same page but this should be encouraging this is affirmation for for anyone thinking hey I want to make a lot of money this week I, you know I'm behind on a mortgage I've uh you know I, I I've got a lot of expenses uh here's a chance to get well and I think we're telling people well here's how you get well you listen to what we're saying not one of us. We were really divided last week, but this time we're saying, oh, yeah, this is
1: this is a payday for you. So take advantage of it. That's true. The consistency should be encouraging to betters, along with our combined record of five and three and week yeah. one. You need any more assurance right there, even factoring in the VIG. You you came away a winner if you if you followed our, our picks and in, in week one. Uh, we're going to step, step outside the SEC for this last one, John, before we get into our lock of the week. Iowa, Iowa State, it's always a fun one. You, it's always hard to predict what's going to happen. Uh, the spread is three and a half in favor of the Hawkeyes. The game is at Iowa. Iowa, by the way, they won in week one against South Dakota State seven to three. South Dakota State and FCS program. Seven to three. So you think, oh, okay, Iowa get an early touchdown, hang on, score late. No, they won thanks to two safeties. <laughs> yeah. Remember the last time a team got to seven points with the help of two safeties? What a what an what an absolutely Iowa way to win. There's probably no other team in the country that would win seven to three on the backs of two safeties. <laughs> uh, I just can't I can't pick a team to cover a three and a half point spread against a a rival when they needed two safeties to get to seven points the week before. So I'm taking Iowa state, give me the three and a half points.
0: I am too. I, whoever was favorite, whoever was favorite in that game, I would go the other way. It's just, it's a, it's a tussle every, every year. It seems like it, it's really an intense game. I mean, it's worth watching if you can, you've got another enough tv sets as you seem to have and i've got all those cell phones uh, picking up games so yeah it's it's a it's a fun game just because of the sheer intensity of it and yeah i can't remember anybody winning a game with two set how many games have you ever seen two safeties in i can't even remember watching
1: one I didn't watch that Iowa game against South Dakota State. I didn't have enough cell phones for it, but yeah. you know, I, I, so I see the score and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a story about this game. I want to read how Iowa hung on here or won late or something. And I was just blown away. And I thought they won without scoring a touchdown. What do you mean that, you know, it was... It went seven to three. How'd they? You know, it's kind of like you you you'd go back to like sixth grade math. It's like how did they get to seven <laughs> points without scoring a touchdown? And you you read on. And it's like oh, they they won with two safeties. What? <laughs> when, <It's>, well, <laughs> see, when I first heard that, and I just
0: thought I misheard it. I wasn't paying full attention, and I thought, or maybe they w- meant they won with a d- without an offensive touchdown.
1: Right. Exactly. The, the
0: Defense gourd. That's kind of what I was thinking, but. What a bizarre game. South Dakota, they they come up with some pretty good games. That's uh, not a team you want to play early in the year. If you're looking for a patsy, I would go elsewhere. I think what we shown, though, both of us have picked all five games the same. So if you don't honor those picks with that much validation, it tells me you really don't want to be successful. Some people, some people don't handle success well and you don't want to be a winner. That's the only way you wouldn't go with these picks. I'd just put them all in a in a big group and
1: hit the mother load. As Lane Kiffin once said, scared money don't make money. All right, John, <laughs> getting into our, our lock of the week. I hit on my lock last week. Uh, you you missed, but we won't go too deep in, into that. Well, uh, I just blame Utah. I don't blame myself. Nor, nor should you. No, John. it's Utah's fault. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer my lock here first. Uh, I'm gonna take UCF, Central Florida hosting Louisville. UCF is a six and a half point favorite. Uh, I guess those odds makers maybe didn't see Louisville play on Saturday against Syracuse, or maybe they know something I don't. Sometimes they do, but Louisville. I mean, Louisville just had a miserable opener, and and I know maybe we didn't get a great read on UCF because it was playing. A, a tune-up opponent in week one. But you lose by 24 points to Syracuse. Then I have you losing by at least seven to UCF. So that's that's my lock. What do you got for your your lock of the week, John? Well, it's
0: funny, but last week uh, you picked uh, – your lock was uh, BYU, giving maybe 12-and-a-half to South Florida. And, and I picked Utah, two-and-a-half-point favorite, maybe over Florida two-point – um, and I liked your lock better than mine and that proved true. So, um, I would have bet your lock over mine. Uh, I think the same thing again, but I'm picking, I looked at this week's games and, and nothing jumped out at me. Both of those games, even though I was wrong on one, both of those games, are locks last week jumped out. I liked the spread very much of that BYU game. I don't have that same feel about it, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter. I mean, as good as I am at this, I I don't have to feel great about it. So I will take Northwestern minus nine and a half against Duke. I watched Northwestern beat Nebraska. And I think Nebraska is a better team than it was last year. Northwestern has a really good run game. And it's Ryan Holinsky, the Ch- South Carolina transfer, had a nice,
1: uh, efficient game. So I'm going with uh, Northwestern there. Now, remember, John, scared money don't make money. So say with a, a little more conviction. You really believe in Northwestern to cover that 9.5-point spread, don't you? I mean, get, get get your phone out and get the apps going. Run out to the nearest casino. You, you believe in this pick, don't you? Blake, this early in the season, I don't think
0: I've ever, ever been as sure of a game as I am Northwestern given nine and a half against Duke. And if you don't if you don't want to follow my lead, you just wanna stay poor.
1: How's I feel that? like it's at this How's point I should be reading off a gambling hotline number, but I don't have anything at the ready. So uh John's got seven phones in his hand, maybe he could he could Google one of those. John, why don't you lend one of those phones? Yeah, there you are. You he, see you holding two phones right now. Why don't you lend one of those phones to Jeremy Pruitt or Brian Niedermeyer when they were coaching at Tennessee? I mean, you cover the balls for the Knoxville News Sentinel and and obviously, according to the NCAA, Pruitt and his cronies there were up to some recruiting shenanigans. They probably could have used one of your burner phones, which I'm not even going to ask what, what you have so many phones for. But it would have been, you know, since you're you're in town covering covering the balls couldn't you have loaned out a phone to pruitt and the boys
0: yeah when you look back on the jeremy pruitt era not enough phones and too little offense
1: so true john so true we will leave it there good luck to your bets good luck to your teams we'll be back with you in week three thanks for listening to this edition of sec football unfiltered